Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global, multi-stakeholder community. And I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Marielsa uh, Oliveira of UNESCO. Uh, Marielsa, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Fritz. It's, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity to be here. Let me introduce you to our audience. You are the Director, uh, Division for Digital Inclusion Policies and Information at UNESCO in Paris. Before that, you were of UNESCO in Beijing and before UNESCO of UNDP. And also you are a subject matter expert when we talk about uh, accountability in the digital age, because you've also been involved in, uh, well, you were responsible for developing AI systems uh, when you're uh, in the States and you have a PhD in business administration and a native from Brazil. I hope I have, we just covered briefly where you come from, but this gives you the audience a brief overview of your background. Um, the main topic for our discussion right now is information as a public good. Um, can you please explain the audience why we should have that, why that's the topic? All right, well, um, we, we really have an internet that has been evolving, you know, transforming or uh, digital ecosystems that have been transforming for quite a while. And uh, the ability of these systems to actually put information at the fingertips of everyone is incredible. It's empowering societies in ways that we really haven't seen before. But they, they also bring in a quite a lot of, uh, of issues with them because uh, these information ecosystems, they don't necessarily contain reliable information. There's quite a lot of it that we don't know the source for and, and it's not necessarily accurate. Uh, so we, and, and beyond inaccuracy, which is, you know, could be misinformation and uh, just mistakes, we actually have actively harmful content. Uh, things like disinformation, hate speech, consist, uh, you know, conspiracy theories, different types of contents uh, that can damage uh, uh, human rights, human dignity. And the problem is that uh, what we see in, the, in reality is that technology has evolved so much faster than regulation was able to evolve that we really left quite a lot of, of uh, these aspects of regulation uh, of, uh, of, the, of the digital content unregulated. Or we are trying to catch up and regulating sometimes with a tremendously heavy hand that actually ends up harming uh, freedom of expression and access to information with our human rights, according to Article 19 of, uh, of uh, uh, the, the uh, declaration. Um, but, uh, or in other times, we, you know, in other uh, examples, we actually have no regulation at all, uh, which leaves people exposed to this kind of harmful content on a, on a heavy basis. So this is uh, um, we, uh, where we are right now. Uh, and we see the need for having a conversation that really brings different types of groups together to discuss um, how can we agree on different, uh, on an approach, on the principles that we need to have in order for digital ecosystems to really fulfill their task of providing information as a public good to everyone because we need information. Information is incredibly important for decision-making, but we need evidence-based, reliable information on which we make decisions, on which we base the social contract. If we cannot trust people, 
You know, uh, if you cannot trust what they tell you, if we not, if there is no trust, there is no social cohesion, there is no social contract. You know, so uh, harmful information ecosystems they damage the social contract. They damage people in different ways, and that's the point. And that's why UNESCO is actually convening a conference on the 21st to 23rd of February this year. So, in, you know, over yeah. about a month from now, you know, a bit over a month from now, so that we bring together a multi-stakeholder group to Paris to sit down and look at what types of principles should we embed uh, into a model regulatory framework that then can be you know, uh, um, disseminated and, and different governments, different uh, uh, partners can look at it and say, what parts of it you know, can I bring into my regulatory environment? And we don't think of a regulation just in terms of government regulation, but uh, in terms of service for companies, for example, for big tech companies, for internet platforms, um, <clears throat> different types of uh, experiments, such as, you know, uh, regulatory sandboxes uh, that brings together government uh, uh, regulatory bodies, you know, uh, and big tech to, to come together and experiment, different types of things like that. But, uh, but the idea is to have a conversation about the kinds of processes uh, that need to be in place in order for uh, a regulatory environment to be promoting human rights, human dignity, particularly freedom of expression, as well as protecting the information environment against harmful content. So that's that's the idea. Well, I'm very excited yeah, about it. Yeah, okay. It, it, it's, uh, it's quite amazing that you've actually described the core reason why the Institute for Accountability was formed in 2017. And actually for the audience sake, uh, your, your, your predecessor instigated the Institute for Accountability, the late Inrit Banayi, because he realized that the members of UNESCO were complaining about the fact that digital technology is moving so fast and the regulatory framework can't keep up with. And that gap creates an accountability issue and that leads to lack of trust uh, because the way technology can be abused. So I fully understand where you're coming from. Um, now, uh, do you see the discussion going in the right direction? Are we catching up? Are we closing the gap? Uh, or are you feel or, or is there a concern that it's that it's increasing? Well, I think that there are so many different types of approaches. Yeah. Um, and I see the trend going actually both ways. There are good examples, good, solid examples, uh, you know, in which uh, regulatory, uh, uh, frameworks are actually setting up the standards by which you protect human rights. You know, uh, uh, we are located here in Europe, so we see quite a lot of the, of, of the efforts by uh, um, the European Commission uh, in terms of this kind of regulation, and they always prephrase it by saying exactly that, you know, uh, that uh, the point is to protect human rights. And, uh, and the kinds of, uh, of uh, content uh, uh, their regulatory frameworks have is really focused on, on, on those. But you also see a lot of autocratic regimes out there who use uh, the opportunity, quote, opportunity of, uh, of uh, hate speech and conspiracy theories online, but actually suppress the, the access to information and prevent freedom of expression, you know, so uh, to by, uh, you know, uh, uh, creating 
the circumstances by which activists and uh, whistleblowers and others that are concerned with uh, with uh, you know worsening you know conditions uh, for for freedom in in particular environments to actually say something about it or disseminate information and you see a lot of that going on as well so uh, you know we we actually see more internet shutdowns now yeah. than we okay. than we actually see before okay so um, this this extremes yeah now one of the key things when we want to have an internet of trust is fully transparency so let me ask you a trans uh, question out of because of transparency sake of transparency um the way decisions are currently being uh, taken within the UN agency means uh, the veto rights uh, means also the, 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 the UN instrument can be abused. So um, does this discussion also lead to rethink how can we also take um, our own organization into the 21st level when it comes to decision making? So is, is digital technology changing the way you're organized? Well, um, it, it changes the way, the, of course, that the UN approaches uh, uh, um, the conversation because you know brings in it brings new partners to the table, yeah. such as big tech, for example, sometimes more powerful than than large governments uh, and, and less accountable because they are uh, operating in a uh, you know, in a place that lacks a jurisdiction called cyberspace. Uh, yeah. Although, of course, their service is located in a particular place, they are headquarters in a certain place, and so on and so forth. But they spread around the world in many ways. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we we need to have that conversation in uh, with uh, new partners, new stakeholders, and we have different types of of issues to address. That many times we actually don't have the people who will have the conversation capable of having that conversation. One of the things that we've been doing at UNESCO, for example, uh, was we started training judges on AI and the rule of law, you know, to, to really tell them what does artificial intelligence have to do with rule of law? Uh, what are some of the principles that, uh, that, uh, uh, that exist because judges they don't necessarily know anything about technology. They don't know what the, are the opportunities and the risks that these technologies generate. And the same thing for, you know, crypto, for, you know, for different, uh, for, you know, AR, VR, you know, uh, um, or, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, and that kind of thing. So, you know, we really need to bring that information to them. Uh, for them to understand. So building capacities of uh, civil servants, particularly those that are tasked with this decision-making process on how to engage with, pl with platforms is something that uh, became a major process uh, uh, um, and a major line of work for us because we, we are constantly asked about that. But that's true also for the UN system and for the international community you know, as a whole. Uh, we also do that for our own colleagues in the UN, uh, in UN system that are not necessarily so conversant with the links that exist between technologies and freedom of expression uh, or access to information rights or privacy rights. Uh, and, and what are the implications uh, that new technologies will have uh, to you know, the protection and promotion of these rights. Um, so of course, you know, uh, we are the ones that, you know, other UN entities advocate for that but, as well. But uh, 
but uh, we go very deeply into transparency requirements and how content moderation happens. How do we manage uh, 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 content on the internet? What are some of the uh, issues that we need to do? Uh, um, what are some of the capacities that we need to build? Media and information literacy, for example, for users to be able to distinguish between harmful content and content that is just, you know, uh, not necessarily harmful, uh, but it's not not necessarily relevant you know it could be entertainment uh, uh, but it's not information but it's a but it's entertainment and it's fine as long as it's not really harming somebody so uh, but there is this fine line distinctions be what is parody what is joke what is actually you know uh, uh, name calling and uh, you need to really contextualize those those things and make sure that you have mechanisms to identify uh, where they are creating uh, uh, negative impact into social contract. So that's where we specialize. Yeah, and also what you're uh, stating uh, about you, uh, the context and contextualize also um, has the complexity that what's going to be offensive for one person is not going to be offensive for the other person. So absolutely, take into account the cultural aspect and the regional aspect, which even makes it more complex and difficult to set guidelines. So. Um, can you set global guidelines realizing uh, or, or just acknowledging that we have all these uh, differences around the world? Absolutely. We, we have created guidelines. There are global guidelines for different aspects of uh, digital ecosystems, uh, uh, um, management, development and, and, and management. For example, one of the elements that, uh, that UNESCO is famous for is the, uh, the recommendation on the ethics of artificial intelligence. The point is not that we create, for example, a list of, uh, of uh, unethical things to do, but, uh, but that we agree on principles that need to be respected wherever uh, this kind of technology is being applied. And okay. that's where I think it makes sense for us to establish the principles, transparency and accountability being absolutely fundamental to the preservation and protection and promotion of, of rights on the internet. Great. Uh, by the way, thank you for uh, acknowledging accountability is key in this case, next to transparency. Now, you just mentioned you need a global multi-stakeholder discussion. Uh, in your view, who should be at the table? And are there also people being organizations, entities being excluded? No, well, UNESCO doesn't exclude anybody. Okay. You know, yeah. uh, we we uh, welcome all participants, all voices, uh, and uh, we are bringing together a large group of stakeholders. Uh, we have, of course, our UNESCO member states, the official representation of, uh, of them, uh, some at ministerial level, some at uh, an ambassadorial level, um, but they are coming. Then we have the big tech companies. Of course, we need them, but also we need an independent technological community uh, because the big tech uh, you know, our businesses not necessarily um, uh, just uh, looking at the best interests of uh, others. They are looking at uh, you know uh, 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 what's already there, and uh, um, so we are bringing also um, techno technologists uh, that are famous and uh, and very conversant with this kind of things. Civil society, a, a spectrum of organizations that uh, that deal from with a range of issues from uh, human rights uh, agencies to gender equality agencies to indigenous rights ones, you know, because they are not necessarily um, taking into account uh, uh, as much on the internet as well as, you know, uh, uh, 
um, organizations that deal specifically with digital environments, those that are looking at rights on uh, whatever it happens, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So private sector, civil society, the uh, regulatory agencies, uh, and they're all coming, you know, so uh, we are very pleased to see that. Okay, and um, how do you ensure that, um, in, in a lot of cases, uh, the in-crowd will be aware and will be willing to uh, make time and come over. So, uh, and that in itself is very much a diverse crowd. Uh, I'm aware of that, but sometimes you also realize there are organizations out there which um, are not yet aware they could be part of the discussion. So how proactive are you in inviting people to attend that discussion? Well, we've extended, uh, you know, invitations to, you know, to a few of our partners, well, to, to quite a few of our partners that usually come to, to different types of events, uh, uh, um, particularly around both Press Freedom Day, uh, around, uh, you know, some of the regulatory uh, uh, institutions that, uh, that we work with uh, on access to information and, uh, you know, judges. Uh, we extended invitations, and of course, to all the UN entities that are our partners uh, and colleagues in, uh, in, uh, in this uh, um, endeavor of looking at digital ecosystems. Um, so, um, you know, where there are quite a few of them, but they started multiplying and sending to their colleagues. And then, you know, of course, it, uh, uh, the invitation is public as well, you know, and so we use different types of networks. Okay. You, you just triggered me another question I had, uh, which, okay, we're, we're educating people, you're educating judges. Now I can imagine lots of various uh, groups, civil servants, you can, uh, but this requires uh, sufficient resources. And I was just wondering, what's your take? Do we have enough resources um, in digital technology in, in understanding uh, what it does, the policy perspective that we can actually start to educate all those various groups of people out there? Well, I'll have to answer in two different ways. First, um, compared to the amount that of investment that happens in digital ecosystems, um, you know, it's a, it's a drop in the ocean. You know the kind of investment that, that that you need for that. Second, um, UNESCO itself is is uh, very limited in terms of, of of resource base. You know we are we are not the richest UN entity by far. We are actually one of the middle ones. You know more to the end. Um, but the 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 thing that UNESCO is rich in is uh, in points on the network. You know in 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 connections. And um, you know we have many, many ways in which we can economize. For example, this training that I mentioned to you on AI and the rule of law for judges, uh, um, it, it literally trained 4,500 judges from 140 countries last year. Uh, and we spent, you know, uh, um, you know uh, I think it was about $400,000, you know, to create the MOOC uh, that, that then uh, can be implemented many times. You know, okay. not only one time, but uh, so, you know, you can imagine the return to investment on investment on, on a deal like that, particularly because those are judges in high courts, you know, in, in, in countries that are actually going to make decisions about, you know, how to, you know, adjudicate cases of, uh, of artificial intelligence in their own uh, uh, national environments, you know, so you... You know, you can't get cheaper uh, to to get this kind of of ability and capacity around the world than than what we've done. Okay, 
good answer. So it's making certain that the people, the decision makers start to understand what this means, what the implications are, and then they can take it on on a local level. Absolutely. And, and not only that, but we train trainers as well that they replicate this kind of effort, you know, and then they become a network themselves that help each other with their decision making. Okay. Hey, um, I'm conscious of the time because my time is moving very fast, just like digital technology, <laughs> unfortunately. A uh, couple of questions at the end. What's in your mind the biggest threat uh, for accountability in the digital age? Where would you put your effort? Well, um, I, I don't think that we can pinpoint a particular one. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, one of the new technologies that we see coming out right, right now is large language models. You know, and, uh, and you see a lot of different types of, uh, of systems out there that actually harvest uh, information and spill, spill out information that nobody's really accountable for in a way. And that, that kind of content that they spill out is blatantly wrong. It's, it's misinformation at a mass scale sometimes. You know, uh, uh, so you see some 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 things like that on the technology side. You know, that's one of the examples. Um, on the regulation side, I think the biggest threat is exactly this lack of capacity that I was talking about by the people who you know who actually need need to lead uh, and are entrusted to lead digital transformation processes in their own uh, 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 jurisdictions, but really come to us and say, "I am not prepared." So help us, you know, I am not prepared. And uh, the, you know, so the threat is not that they are not prepared. The threat is that we don't really have the resource necessarily in being invested around the world at the level that it should be invested in order for, for it to happen. And, um, and uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, the issues of uh, the fact that we really don't have um, agreed principles yet so uh, hopefully by February, we will come up with uh, uh, some global you know, agreement on, on yeah. how to take this forward. So February is a key moment, a key milestone, because then we'll have the conference in Paris, the Internet of Trust, the, the global conference, uh, 21st, 23rd of February. So anybody watching, you can still sign up if you want. Um, brings me to uh, two last questions, if I may. Sure. Uh, now, you, the UN has called the period we're now in the decade of execution when it comes to the SDGs. And if you look at one of the key pillars to execute on uh, this decade of execution is digital technology. Um, SDGs, they run until 2030. What's your prediction, personal idea? Um, is going to be digital just as important in the successes of the SDGs? Are people already working on that? Or should we knock on a couple of doors in whatever, in New York, whatever, say, look, make certain that also in the future, in the successor of the SDGs, digital is going to be key. I think already you, you see digital becoming absolutely central. Um, and uh, you see the member states themselves asking for that. So I, I, you know, I cannot say what the member states will place as the top priority in 2030, you know, and, and include in, in the next generation of uh, uh, development objectives. But already you see a roadmap shaping up uh, for digital uh, uh, cooperation 
uh, that is, you know, Secretary General uh, Guterres is driving, but uh, but also, you know, it's it's with the member states. First, we and we have a very um, very important uh, points, you know, uh, milestones ahead of us uh, coming up. You know, so in 2024, for example, we have the Global Digital Compact um, that uh, the the set of principles and commitments that uh, uh, are part of what the, the Secretary General is and member states are calling our common agenda. Uh, and the Global Digital Compact is this agreement of how should we treat the internet and uh, uh, specifically uh, so that it, be, it really is a public good, you know, a global public good that helps us to solve global challenges rather than create new ones, you know. Um, so that's 2024. 2025th, we actually have the uh, the 25-year uh, review of the World Summit for the Information Society, the WISIS process, which is also a, a huge milestone. And what comes out of that will certainly inform the discussions that we will then start at that point uh, that uh, uh, that will culminate. Um, and the 2020 uh, and 31st, maybe as the you know the new set of uh, of uh, development objectives, and uh, and I really you know my bet if I have to have a bet is that we're gonna you know gonna have an actual actual digital uh, uh, objectives you know specifically digital uh, at the time because it's absolutely critical and. We need to yeah. really take that that uh, you know the way that we shape digital ecosystems forward as a development issue everywhere. Might be we're a little bit biased, but I really hope you're right, and that is what we're going to see uh, happening in the near future. Uh, last question for you, uh, you uh, Marielsa. Um, how can a community like the Institute for Accountability uh, help in this discussion? Well the, well, the Institute for Accountability is literally at the center of this discussion, you know, because that's exactly what we're looking for. What is going on right now is, is the spread of this kind of harm without anybody being accountable for the harm that it causes, you know. So you are absolutely at the center of this discussion. So please, not only come, but, uh, you know, come. Uh, provide your, your your inputs to the model framework that we are going to be developing um, and come to have, you know, to bring your voice to bring to this conversation, because uh, this is the voice, you know, this is a, a central voice that we hope to have, you know, calling everybody, you, everybody's attention to the importance of, uh, of uh, us curbing this kind of harm, you know, so. Marielsa, I want to thank you so much for your interview, your, 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 your passionate call for action to have that global and multi-stakeholder discussion. And I can promise you, we will meet in Paris and we will be part, an active part of that discussion and make sure that we get there. Thank you Brazilian, so much. Brazilian coffee on me when you come, you know, so. <laughs> thank Incredio. you so much. Oh, obrigada. No, thank you so much for this interview. It was delightful to, to see you again. Thank you.